Hello and welcome to another episode of Finding Peaks. I'm Jason Friesma, Chief Clinical Officer at Peaks Recovery. Joining me today, I have a very special guest, uh, Pema White, um, primary therapist moving into uh, a, in a, a family role with Peaks. Um, actually, she's been in a family role for quite a while, uh, running our family uh, education um, support group on Monday evenings. Um, and then recently, uh, Pema has uh, agreed to take on uh, providing family workshops for our clients in person now that uh, COVID is over. But uh, before we talk uh, about that, I did just want to kind of introduce you in a different way. I know you've been on uh, the show before, but you haven't been on here with me, so I get to, to kind of talk about you for a second. Um, I remember, Pema, getting your resume because you have such a unique name, and uh, actually Pema Chodron is a favorite author of mine, and so, uh, immediately your name stood out um, for that reason because those are the only two Pemas that I've ever known and um, immediately I was uh, I appreciated your calm and your and your just your spirit immediately and 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 you brought to our clinical team um, uh, a great presence and then with that um, a great deal of uh, background in working with families and working with families in pretty significant crisis uh, through a variety of modalities like we were talking about before the show. And I think, um, <clears throat> and somewhere, I, I can't remember, it was probably about a year ago, I think uh, Alan Cook and I started uh, the family uh, meeting, but um, once Alan uh, had to move on to Hawaii, poor guy, but uh, <laughs> you were willing to step into that role and, and really take that family um, program and, and begin to elevate it. And, and, and so, I, A, I wanted to thank you for that, but also, uh, that is pretty naturally now folded into um, doing some family workshops in person. Uh, so with all that being said, um, as you came on to Peaks, and, it, and it's been a little while, so I'm asking you to kind of reflect back a little bit, but what did you begin to notice about families and what families needed um, as, their, as their loved one was uh, coming into the Peaks program? Um, I think the, the first thing that I noticed was that they very much needed to be heard. Um, that, you know, I, I don't think I realized and understood what component they, they played. I was moving out of, like, the family as a unit, the family as a relationship, like, the family as my sole um, focus, and so I had to be very attentive to everybody, and then moving into individual, um, you know, it was almost like, oh, this is, I'm like, I got this. I, I went from, you know, sometimes five people in a room to one person in a room. Um, you know, and, and it was so no, new and overwhelming, and I think it, it was just really easy to focus on the individual and say, oh, we just have a client here, mm -hmm. um, and we just need to get our client to this place, and then, you know, someone else will take over, I guess, in some magical way. Yeah. Um, and then immediately started working with the families and realizing that my background um, just really doesn't allow me to forget that there's a family, that there's a system, um, a wife, a daughter, a, you know, a mom, you know, a dad, uncles even. Um, and so, you know, and sometimes just brothers, it's really cool when, you know, a brother shows up and he's mm -hmm. like, I'm not going to let this one go. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so, um, yeah, like I, I think initially it was, it was definitely like I, they had a lot of pain. Um, that it was, really wasn't so much about the client. It was about their pain. It was their relief that they were there and a need to be heard and a need to be um, acknowledged for the pain they were carrying, the trauma of addiction, the trauma of mental illness on a family, and um, you know, and, and that in turn looks very different. You know, in some families it looks like a lot of blame and a lot of shame and a lot of criticism. Um, and I, you know, often try to redirect from that of like this is just what 
we're focusing on. This actually comes from a place of hurt and fear. Um, and then some families are just, you know, want to give information. Like, can you, do you got an hour? Because I have yeah. all the information you need to know so that you can, you know, see my person. Um, and so, you know, and again, still fear and hurt, right? Like they all came from that place. And, and, and it, I can imagine um, that it's really difficult to meet someone new and have to like lay out all of a family history to this new clinician yeah. who has likely 15 minutes to, to listen to you before they move on to the next um, thing. I think, th I think that's a huge challenge. And, and, you know, to put it pretty succinctly, I've certainly, you know, there's a phrase going around for a while, and I don't, I don't even know who coined it, but that addiction is a family disease. And I would, mm -hmm. I would say mental health is a family yeah. uh, disease as well. And, you know, you and I have a uh, very similar background. We've worked for the same company uh, prior to Peaks, different time frame, but um, we, we had plenty of opportunity, at least I did, and I'm sure you did as well, of, of seeing, you know, a, a person, a, an identified patient, if you will, taken out of a family, taken to treatment, do their work, and then plugged back into an unchanged family. Um, that isn't a great system for uh, sustainable change for anyone in that uh, process. And so, um, <clears throat> beginning to wrap around families, what, what strategies have you used uh, in Peaks? So you mentioned family sessions. Yeah. How do we, how do you incorporate those into, into how you work with clients? Um, well, I, um, I, first I gather information, you know, so I'm listening to families and I'm working with the client. Um, and a lot of times they want that to happen immediately, but we generally put that on hold um, just because it takes a minute um, for clients to sort of, you know, di disconnect. Um, and they've arrived in a state that they likely need to disconnect. Um, and so, you know, usually within the first few weeks, we've gathered enough information to get an idea about um, what the, the, at least from the client's point of view, what their struggle is, and, and maybe from the family's point of view, what they feel like the struggle is. Um, and so then we can come together and say, okay, we all agree, right, on this one thing, maybe a few things. Mm -hmm. um, or if we don't agree, then let's, let's start that process, right? Yeah. Like, let's get some goals. Um, because in, in residential care, there's at best like three family sessions. Like that's in the best case scenario, we probably are doing three sessions, um, sometimes a little more, sometimes a little less. And, um, and so I, you know, have to, I feel like I always have to strategize of like, we have this much time, and then we lose them, like yeah. we're, they're gone. Yeah. Um, and we just cross our fingers. And, um, and so that, that first session is about you know, identifying progress. I wanna build some hope for the family. Um, that seems to be like one of the most necessary processes of, of walking into that family station and saying, hey, I want you to talk to your progress. I want you to talk about you know, what you've learned here so far and what you're working on and you know, what you plan on addressing while you're still here. So the family gets this idea of like, okay, my, my person is safe and my person is addressing some of these things that you know, they are here for, um, hopefully these underlying issues. So we're not just talking about, you know, I need to stop doing what I'm doing. Um, it's I need to look at these things that keep me from you know, walking into a healthy life. And, um, and then we um, hopefully have some um, time to talk about um, the family's struggles, just to kind of hash out some of like the, whatever they're carrying as resentments or concerns or fears um, to be addressed um, because it's not, it's not a great system um, that if you walk out of treatment and feel very hopeful and feel very healed in a lot of ways to step into um, you know, what I call darts. I think mm -hmm. uh, I tell people all the time, like they have some reasonable darts. Mm -hmm. you know? It's fair that they feel this way. It's fair that they have these resentments and, um, you know, and it, it may not be so about you, but they're probably gonna come at you 
because um, <laughs> uh, it feels very raw for the family, and you know, and and I'm and I try to help our clients, you know, my clients see that um, they've had this runway, so to speak, that they have had this time and treatment and this surrounding of support, but their families generally haven't, um, and so they are often, you know, a, a couple steps ahead, um, and they expect their families to just sort of magically arrive there with them, and that's not what happens. It's not even you know, reasonable to think that they're gonna be there, um, usually the families are put on pause. And then, you know, they see their, their people way ahead, but they, they're still holding these darts, they're still holding yeah. these resentments. And um, so I wanna try to at least get one session in to be able to talk about that and why that needs to be resolved or have a, a process of resolved. And then hopefully by that, you know, kind of third session, we're talking about relapse prevention. And so I'm giving some information on what relapse looks like um, you know, affirming that everybody relapses, they don't all look like this kind of end result of relapse, but that they're gonna experience anger or um, triggers in some kind of way and they're gonna feel activated and that's when the family can do something. Um, and so hoping to get a client to talk about like what they need from their family um, in those moments, how it's been different than, you know, we used to do this, now let's do this. So mm -hmm. we're talking to like kind of family patterns and, um, and then once we look at that family pattern and how the, the client themselves can shift that either by communicating or um, you know taking some time whatever that looks like um, then it's you know kind of the family's opportunity to say this is what we need um, and so hopefully we're now having this conversation that is um, moving forward you know building this skill of I'm feeling a kind of way and I need something from this and how can we come to an agreement now and in the future um, when you are in you know at, at risk where we don't all fall back into our old patterns well, I think you bring up you bring up such a good point too that in a residential setting of you know of 30 to 45 days we don't have a tremendous amount of time uh, or hours to really uh, navigate systems that have been in place for oftentimes decades yeah. uh, and even if it hasn't been decades like it's, it's difficult to un unwind some of that which which kind of led to us kind of starting this family support meeting on on Monday evenings and we also have one on Thursday evenings as well. Um, what has surprised you about that meeting? Let me start there. That so many people are coming. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I think I, I knew that people needed support, and, um, and I think that I just, it was surprising that um, without that, before we had that in place, um, sometimes it was hard to connect with families. Sometimes they didn't have time. Sometimes they you know, were just feeling so much. Um, are feeling so overwhelmed that, you know, I, I, it's really, it's a good surprise. It's a really pleasant surprise to see so many people coming and returning. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then what do you, there's obviously this uh, educational component. And so can you maybe just do an overview of what, yeah. what you talk about in there? I know it's, you put on a six week rotating uh, curriculum. Is yeah. What I'd say, but. I think that, um, you know, so we, we try to address things that we have seen have come up as themes, um, you know, and, and that's oftentimes like, uh, you know, I'll make little notes along the way in the curriculum and be like, this needs to be changed or, you know, oh, that was a good question. Let me add that in. So I try to keep it, you know, kind of a living document and at least in the back of my mind, sometimes in my notes to like remember to address these things that, that come up. But generally we talk about um, how to set boundaries in healthy ways, um, you know, how to really take care of um, yourself as a family support person. I think that that's a, 
um, oftentimes surprising aspect of the family support group that, you know, when families show up, I think they kind of have this expectation of, I'm going to learn some magic about my person mm -hmm. um, and what my person needs to do. Um, and then they find out that it's actually about you and what you need to do. Um, you know, and, and, and then another surprising aspect is people are like, oh, okay, yeah, oh, that makes sense. And <laughs> note to self um, that my person's recovery is about my recovery. Um, and that the family recovery and, you know, and how to integrate some of those things. And um, we talk about, you know, I think just giving that education of like what relapse looks, looks like breaking down and, you know, in and, and 10 steps sometimes and what addiction and um, dependence looks like and, and really breaking down, you know, depression and anxiety and how it's this underlying, um, you know, factor that drives, you know, these dysfunctional patterns. And, um, and then I think a lot of it is really just support for each other. I think I, I see a lot of people really just sighing when they hear other people and saying, yeah, same, uh, what she said, what he said, um, and I'm not alone, and this is common, and, you know, and, and that I think it does two things. It one helps them feel connected with people that they had no idea existed, um, and then two, I think it, it kind of reduces some of the shame that a lot of family members feel um, because they know things have not been great and they might not have acted great um, and no one really wants to talk about it when we're not acting great um, but then when they hear it like oh this isn't me not acting great this is a very typical response to trauma and addiction and um, and I just fell into a pattern that is natural and normal um, for most people well I, I mean I was going to ask you about the communal aspect of it and you, and you touched on it there I certainly find, um, you know, we talk often about how addiction and even mental health are very lonely uh, mm -hmm. in uh, diseases or, or uh, when people are in active addiction or actively depressed or actively anxious, it creates this isolation. Even, even if there are people around or even if it seems like they aren't necessarily isolating, like it does create this great loneliness and great feeling of like... Um, well, I'm just by my, I'm on my own. And, and in this parallel process, families feel much the same way. Um, oftentimes due to shame and, and um, maybe not wanting to talk to people or not knowing who to talk to or, or having friends or family who don't understand what's going on in the family. And so they continue to shrink their world down. And I was always amazed when I've, when I've uh, helped facilitate those uh, meetings with the families is almost... Like you said, a lot of people are saying, yeah, me too, and I get it, and same with me. Um, and it's, it's always struck me how surprising that is for people, that they aren't alone. Yeah. And, and by definition, that's kind of shame, right? That if I think I'm the only person who feels this way, I think I'm the only one that feels this desperately about my loved one, or I think I'm the only one that um, has been lied to over and over and I can't give up on my person, or I think I'm the only one that... Um, has paid off a drug dealer, or I'm the only one who's gone to my kid's house and pulled them out of bed, but really... Or I'm they... the only one that kicked my kid out because they were using, and that makes, you know, like, yeah. whatever that response is, is there must be something wrong with me because I'm all alone here. Yeah. yeah. And we know, we know just from talking about shame that that is exactly what exacerbates it. And the, and the solution for it, of course, is just being able to talk about it. And, and what I think our, what our evening programming, and it, it is just for families, like that group, mm -hmm. the, our clients don't attend. It's just, it's just a place for families to kind of come together, get some education, and also uh, offer one another some support. And it is a powerful space for sure. Mm -hmm. And then 
so then we had this other realization. Well, you did, and, and, and you came and talked to me about it, and it is that um, the families are engaging in this program, our clients are engaging uh, in our inpatient program, and then uh, we have an IOP program in Colorado Springs and in Denver, and uh, clients are transitioning to that, and, and the families are just kind of uh, left to go Drop use down. community supports. How yeah. about that? And, um, and then you've designed uh, kind of this, uh, kind of a workshop to help uh, families integrate with one another again. And, and I'm wondering if you can kind of give us a preview of what that's going to look like. Yeah, I think, um, you know, one realization that was happening over and over, so it was a pattern. Um, I, you know, I see things from a system, so I don't, yeah. no one exists all alone. We all exist in our system. And, um, and so when I kept seeing over and over, you know, people were coming back. They were like, can I keep coming? Um, which is beautiful, yeah. um, it makes it bigger again, you know, I'm like, oh, they're still coming and they're repeating things, you know, and, um, and so, which is beautiful, but also I think it, it implied, at least to me, that they need more. Um, they're not ready to drop off, they're not ready to be let go, and, you know, and, and that I think is very powerful when um, family members can ask for help, when anyone can ask for help in whatever way they do, and so um, to say, like, and then also this, like, fear, so there was, like, people that were returning, um, because their people went into IOP, and then I would hear this fear. We'd watch people um, and listen to people coming through the program. The first, you know, few weeks, there was just my person is safe, and they were feeling that and expressing that. Um, but then, as you know, the discharge neared, there was just this increase in fear. You could hear it. Me too, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Connecting on that. I think one time they even formed their own group afterwards because they wanted to support each other and. Um, and so that it just seems so clear that our families needed a, um, a step down as well. Um, they needed not to be, you know, left to figure this out on their own. And, um, and the practical aspects. I know, you know, just from learning, I worked in schools and, and I was a teacher and I knew that you couldn't just, you can't just teach a skill. You can't just present something and say good luck. Like there has to be some, some integration of it. And, you know, and that I think is where the magic happens um, because this is where our clients are most at risk for relapse. That's why we have IOP is because there needs to be that extra support. Um, but there's also a relapse for families. And, um, you know, and so, you know, families who are learning this new skill of I'm having a feeling and I have a need and can we talk about it um, is great in the safety of a family session. Um, but then when you get in it and they're back home for dinner and they don't like what they made for dinner, right? Um, all of a sudden things go back to the default pattern. Um, and there isn't anyone to coach him in those moments. And so um, to me, like the workshops are about the, the practical aspects, putting it into action. Families hopefully have had some experience, um, if not through inpatient, you know, family sessions and online. Um, you know, certainly the clients are in it um, and feeling it and, and getting supported. And so it's about putting those two, um, you know, kind of concepts back together. So the family comes, the client comes, and, um, and they're able to talk about the real things that are happening um, in the moment. So, you know, we're starting with same concepts. It's just sort of a, you know, higher level, it feels like, right? Like they're mm -hmm. now moving into this more practical aspect of it. And so setting those boundaries in the moment, talking about real things that are happening today, um, going back to talk about some of those, you know, resentments that families are still carrying and they don't want to throw at their family member. They, they want to see them in recovery, but they don't know what to do with these sort of hard topics, um, you know, examining the family patterns and, um, and what that looks like and what, what it might look like if we continue on this path and, and how to undo all of that. I think one, one of the things I wanted to touch on as you were talking there is I, um, 
there is this process I think families go through, or, or some families go through, not all, where, the, where their person comes to peaks and they begin to get better and communication within the family is improved. Um, and there's, there's a lot of excitement and there's oftentimes relief on the part of the family and they kind of have some separation from their loved one and they're like, I'm sleeping at night, I know my person is safe and, and um, is making progress. And then um, after some period of time that, that wears off and, and old patterns reestablished. But I think also uh, what, I've t what I've told some clients is like you've, you've created a kind of a reservoir of pain and hurt in your family and they probably have in you as well. But like you've created a reservoir of pain and hurt and, and it's likely going to come out at some point. And actually uh, that would be a good thing if it came out. Um, it would, that's the path kind of toward healing. And, and so oftentimes, uh, you know, I've seen it with clients toward the end of their treatment stay and their family members are finally like, you know what, actually you really hurt us in these ways, or we really were afraid, or we're really tired of this, or we really can't go back to this. And, and I watched our clients come back and be like, what has happened? Like things are getting worse. And I'm actually like, this is actually the process of them getting better because they're actually trusting you enough. And it shows that they're still invested. Um, and then I often quote uh, the Lumineers and I say that uh, the opposite of love is indifference. Mm. So their anger and their frustration and all that is actually just a, uh, a form of their love. Um, and certainly I think uh, family members being willing to come and attend a workshop, that's an act of love too, to say yeah. this, is, this relationship is worth healing. Um, I did want to ask, like, do you have, could you share like maybe one practical thing you're going to help families integrate with one another? Whether, yeah, I'll let you add in. Um, yeah, well, I mean, I, we made the first session boundaries for a reason. Uh, yeah. Right? Yeah. And so, um, you know, I think it, a lot of times it, it's unspoken, right? Like you just, you go to someone's house and you just assume that they were raised the same way that you were raised. And, um, you know, and so we're not used to speaking to very specific boundaries and, um, and it feels awkward and, um, you know, and, and it's unusual and, you know, and, and, and it's been introduced, hopefully, certainly to our clients, because it's something we talk about almost every week, not every day, um, you know, and, and it's certainly something that happens in family programming. Um, but then what does that look like? Do I have to write a list of rules and post it in the kitchen or, um, you know, and, and that's going to be different for each family. So I think it's just um, giving them a space to be able to talk about what their fears are, what their concerns are. Um, because for me, like, if you have a fear, then we need to set a boundary. We yeah. need to address that by saying, what's your fear? Well, you're, I'm afraid he's going to steal my car in the middle of the night, you know, and go get high, whatever, you yeah. know. Um, all right, that's a fear. What's the boundary there, right? Like, and can you respect that boundary? For, for now, um, you know, your family member says that you can't have access to their car because they're afraid of that. That has to be the boundary today. And, and it doesn't have to be the boundary forever. Boundaries are flexible. They can be. Um, but it's just today's boundary. And, you know, and, and I think when it's, when it's spoken and agreed upon and respected and understood of like, this is why I have to set this, um, then it doesn't turn into like over dinner going, hey, can I get the car? No, you can't have the car, right? Now mm -hmm. we're ugly. Now things are, yeah. um, you know, um, just, and, and there's, no, there's no way to, nowhere to go from there because we've already turned it into a place of anger. So hopefully that's what, you know, families will be bringing to the workshop is this, um, I mean, they may not know that yet, but, you know, <laughs> they, they carry it in their pocket. I know I do. Yeah. Uh, and so um, I can tell you what my fears are in most situations. And so I, that's what we'll kind of talk through and work through. And 
Um, you know, the exciting part about, you know, building programs is, you know, I get to hear from the clients. I hope that every time we do the boundaries discussion, it looks different. I hope every time we work through, you know, this four-week curriculum, it's a, it's a whole different conversation because it's a whole new set of fears. It's a whole new set of families that um, are bringing their own, you know, needs and concerns and, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Pema, I, I, I appreciate, um, as we kind of wrap up here, I, I appreciate your vision um, for uh, families uh, coming through peaks, and I appreciate uh, your ch you championing championing them uh, in the process. And I really think this is a way uh, we talk a lot about disrupting this industry, and I think uh, this is a way we get to do it um, to provide not only uh, care uh, and our peaks touch, if you will, to our clients, but we also get to. Uh, provide that to the family um, and help kind of, uh, you know, help the families integrate uh, what occurs in our program. So um, I want to thank you for coming on the show today. Uh, I want to wish uh, everyone a, a happy, have a safe Independence Day tomorrow. Um, please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, uh, also on uh, TikTok. Chris Burns uh, continues to churn out um, wacky videos that I think are mostly fun. And um, anyway, uh, thank you all for viewing and uh, feel free to email us any questions uh, that you may have or comments. And with that, take care.